Hello, and welcome back to Render Unto Caesar on 91.3 FM CJTR Community Radio. I'm your host, Josh Campbell. Render Unto Caesar seeks to explore the connection between religion and the public sphere. The title comes from one of the more well-known events in Jesus' life, when he gets asked if a devout Jew should pay taxes to Rome. Jesus says, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. Previously on Render Into Caesar, I talked with Maggie James and Philip Zvibovic, two young adults who participated in the Economy of Francesco event held this past November. Because of COVID, the event was moved online and breakout sessions were held in satellite hubs around the globe. An introduction to the event in a New York City hub called the Economy of Francesco, a movement which seeks to create a more just capitalist society. Part of my conversation with Maggie and Philip was discussing the question of whether such a society can really exist. Towards the end of the show, I shared a snippet of a presentation by Dr. Vandana Shiva. Today I'm going to play another part of her presentation. This will then lead us into a conversation with Dan Schmeiser, the son of Percy Schmeiser. Percy Schmeiser was a small town farmer in the Canadian prairies who fought a historic court battle with multinational agro-giant Monsanto. Today's show sets up an interesting contrast of these two people who both stood and continue to stand against the corporatization of food. Let's first start with Dr. Vandana Shiva. Dr. Vandana Shiva is an Indian scholar, environmental activist, food sovereignty advocate, and anti-globalization author. Dr. Shiva was one of the Economy of Francesco's featured speakers this year. Her presentation, which I'm going to play in part, is called An Economy of Abundance, How to Foster Bottom-Up Development. Now, the problem is that since colonialism, since industrialism, we've really developed a whole worldview, both scientific and economic, that makes one-way linear extraction from nature and society appear as if it's the economy. But this is not the economy. Aristotle called it money-making in my recent book, Oneness Versus One Percent. I have called it the money machine because it works in a mindless, heartless way to keep churning out more and more money by taking from nature without giving back taking from society without giving back. And all the crises that were mentioned, whether it is the poverty crisis or the hunger crisis, or even the pandemic, or the diseases from bad food, chronic diseases, or the polarization of society on the basis of economy, as well as divisions around race and gender and religion, all of this, is rooted in the idea that nature is dead, people are raw material to be used and exploited. They too are just inputs to the machine. And this machine that I call the money machine, and, uh, and Pope Francis has said it so beautifully, we have created new idols. The worship of the ancient golden calf has returned in the idolatry of money. In this system, whatever is fragile, like the environment, is defenseless 
before the interest of a deified market. But they, it isn't just that money is playing the role of God. Those who are extracting and making money are playing the role of God. I'm reading the book by uh, the two doctors, uh, by uh, Dudna, who got the Nobel Prize in Chemistry this year. And she calls gene editing, which is just with ignorance, cutting genes as if it's a word program on a computer. And she calls it a crack in the creation, rewriting evolution. And I keep thinking, I said again and again and again, they want to play God. Green Revolution, they brought miracle seeds and Borlaug called the 12 people he trained his apostles. That's how messed up they are. When they take patents on seed, which is the basis of my life's work for the last 33 years, a patent on seed is I am the creator. And I joke and say a GMO means God move over. Aristotle put it very clearly that economy or economy is the art of living. And crematistics is the art of money making. What we call economy is purely a brutal, violent, irresponsible system of money making. The word economy is derived from the same word from which ecology is derived, oikos, a home, a common home about which the Laudato Si' is. But our particular homes, the places where we live, extractivism has created scarcity. When we work with the earth, when we work with our full consciousness, when we work through giving, we create economies of abundance. I have learned this through my practice. I have learned this through my research. And let me just give you a few examples from our work in Navdanya, the movement for seed saving, agroecology, local distribution, healthy food, not money making, but the art of giving, giving to the earth, sharing with each other. So when we give a little bit or what the earth gives us back to her as organic matter, she gives us more food. She creates abundance. And all it takes from us is the spirit of gratitude and a spirit of service, a spirit of care. Chemical fertilizers, on the other hand, come from the spirit of war. Well, I shouldn't call it spirit of war, the mentality of war. The same process, the Haberbach process, that made explosives for Hitler, also made the synthetic nitrogen fertilizers, which are exploding in Beirut. The same things that make a nitrogen bomb also create a bomb in our farms. They kill Mother Earth with violence. They kill the mycorrhizae and the earthworms. And this then leads to disasters. The soil is getting desertified. The water is disappearing, uses 10 times more water to dissolve these chemicals. Nitrogen oxide is being emitted as a greenhouse gas in addition to carbon dioxide, and it is 300 times more damaging to the climate. My book, Soil Not Oil, and a manifesto of Navdanya International on climate change has shown that at least 50% of the greenhouse gases causing climate change come from the same system that is creating scarcity in land, 
scarcity in water, scarcity in the security of a stable climate, but also scarcity in seed. It has created seed famine. But when I take a little seed and I spend the whole day with my sisters from the mountains, where 33 years ago, those little, little seeds that are called the millets, because each seed gives you a million in, in the Italian version of million, not one into ten, well, six, but one to five. Each seed creates abundance. But the urge of the money machine to create scarcity is so severe, they create hybrids that can't be saved. They have patents where you can't save seeds. They want to make it a crime. I see it as a duty, but worse, they tried to create a terminator technology to create sterile seed. Just like now using gene editing, they are creating gene drives to push to extinction. This is not an economy. Of course, with patents, you make lots of money, but you drive biodiversity to extinction. You push farmers to suicide. This is not an economy. In Navdanya, over the last 33 years, we saved the seed. And the seed in its abundance gave us more nutrition. Our research shows that when you don't measure yield per acre of a commodity, but the nutrition per acre of the real food, we can feed two times the world's population. We don't have to panic. Oh my God, there's seven billion, they'll become nine billion, we'll all starve, therefore eat fake food. No, they're now creating a mental scarcity in food to say, Impossible burger will solve the problem of the planet and hunger. No, it'll cause more problem because made of GMOs, which are already causing damage, but made in a lab, already ultra-processed food are breaking our sacred relationship with food. It's not an accident that every religion has the sacred sacrament of food, of bread. We've got to bring the sacrament back in the economy because most of the problems of the planet and most of the problems of humanity are related to a food system based on greed. All the solutions for the planet and people come from a food system that recognizes the interconnectedness and sacredness of life and the two principles are diversity and the law of return. Only in giving do we receive. The law of return is basically maintaining the nutrition cycle. At the local level, it maintains the fertility of our farms and can give us 300 to 400% more food. At the planetary level, when these little cycles of nutrition add up, they heal the broken planetary boundaries and we can actually repair the damaged climate system by taking excess carbon dioxide and excess nitrogen from the air through the plants to the soil, where now it creates abundance of food. But the two other things about abundance is, we cannot have abundance with broken societies. That's why we must reclaim community. We must reclaim the commons. This urge of 500 years has been to privatize, 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 and close, and close, and close. Own and collect rents. It's a rent economy. The people who are billionaires today don't make anything. They collect rents and lock you into a new slavery. And a lot 
of this is going very fast forward during this lockdown, where the new raw material is not just our seeds, of course, but the food. Food is being reduced to raw material. We won't have food. We'll have carbohydrates and proteins for processing in a lab. No, we need real food because food is the connection between us and the earth. And human beings are being turned into raw material for data to be mined. This is a moment to reclaim our deep humanity, oneness with the planet, oneness with each other. We are, of course, one species among trillions. And we are one humanity on one planet. And the economy of Francesco shows the way. Thank you. Many things stood out to me from Dr. Shiva's speech, but probably the biggest one was her definition of the economy. She contrasts the scarcity of the money-making machine with the abundance of the giving economy exemplified in creation. Her example of this comes from her lifelong work as a seed-saving activist. As she stated, the big ag companies like Monsanto aim to make saving seeds a crime through Terminator technologies. Their end goal is to push seed extinction so that they can hold the patents on life itself. One person who knew this all too well was Saskatchewan farmer Percy Schmeiser. Recently, there was a feature film called Percy, which tells his story. My wife and I checked it out and thought it was really thought-provoking. Recently, I had the chance to ask Percy's son, Dan, a few questions about their family's story. Dan himself is no stranger to agriculture. After having grown up on the Schmeiser farm near Bruno, Saskatchewan, Dan studied finance and economics at the University of Saskatchewan. Following this, Dan started a 22-year career as a policy analyst with the Saskatchewan Wheat Pool. This then led to a position with the Department of Agriculture that Dan finished in 2017. I never knew that Dan had this kind of background. I immediately became curious if he felt compromised in his job, given that his dad was in a historic court battle with one of the biggest ag companies in the world. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. My first question for Dan was to tell people a bit more about his dad's story in case they didn't know it. Here's what he had to say. This goes back to 1998. And, uh, and I hasten to add that at that time, I was already 30 years old. And so um, uh, my observations were from somewhat of a distance uh, as an adult, young adult, uh, pursuing one's, one's own career. Uh, but I got back to Bruno regularly and, and actually I had a small involvement uh, in farming activity at that time. In any case, um, the issue was very much one of um, uh, patent rights and control over intellectual property, uh, but it had numerous implications, and um, uh, and so that uh, that multifaceted. Uh, uh, 
issue is something that uh, included um, impact on environment, uh, impact to genetically modified foods, uh, control over um, life form, um, uh, control over agriculture. Um, there was there were there were many many uh, hot button uh, issues that uh, arose, and I suspect Monsanto had no idea uh, what all would rise to the surface uh, when they chose to uh, pursue my my father for uh, perceived uh, patent violation which was uh, in respect to the growing of um, their genetically modified canola. So, um, uh, Dan, sorry to interject. Just curious, when, when did you, uh, what was the first you heard of this situation that came up? <laughs> um, well, uh, I think uh, it first arose in, in 1997. Uh, but it may have been 1998. In, in any case, uh, uh, with uh, in respect to correspondence that Monsanto had sent uh, to my parents. So um, when uh, Monsanto uh, uh, essentially said, you're in violation uh, of our, our patent rights, um, they, they sent a letter to my father, they sought damages, um, and um, so this, this this is a bombshell to them, and uh, it changed their lives uh, dramatically, and uh, and uh, did so for the next uh, twenty years. Um, I remember coming back from uh, my parents' cabin at Waka Lake, down the road that passed by the farmland, and I came across, or I, I rather, I passed uh, a group of people in the. Uh, in the road allowance uh, surveying where the road allowance uh, line was versus where the property was. Uh, and they were a crew that had been hired by Monsanto to um, take uh, samples from the, the road allowance to see if uh, their genetically modified uh, canola was uh, was present. So um, my, my involvement was very much uh, one of... Um, um, what my parents uh, told me, though I, I did get to see uh, some of Monsanto's activities up close. So, and at this time, Dan, were you were you working in the agricultural industry in a, in some way, or what, what were you doing for work when this all yeah. came up? So, I, I I was at Saskatchewan Wheat Pool at the time. I was working in the area of agricultural policy. And that included uh, uh, really a gamut of policy issues, everything from farm finance to transportation, but it, it also included um, agricultural research and funding for agricultural research. And uh, the, the topic of plant breeders' rights and essentially investment in agriculture, agricultural research and new varieties, um, and uh, how research would be funded and, and how it would be controlled was something I was quite familiar with uh, from my involvement at the time. Right. So um, you talked about how this changed your parents' lives. Uh, how? 
how did it change their lives? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, um, uh, they, they had, uh, a very large corporation making, uh, both demands and, and, uh, of them and threats to them. Um, so, uh, they felt, uh, greatly intimidated and, and up against, uh, a very, very powerful and, and well-funded entity that, uh, um, uh, was going to, um, uh, well, not only defend their patent as they saw it, uh, but also make clear to everyone that these were the new rules of the day uh, and that um, uh, intellectual property had a price and, and people were going to pay it. Um, my parents um, felt that Monsanto's actions were very, very unfair and, and very intimidating. Um, um, growing up in a small town, uh, yes, your your business is known to to a lot of other people, but there's there, there's an understanding of community, and. Um, Monsanto's approach was one where um, um, uh, essentially they were setting the rules um, as far as they were concerned uh, you were guilty Um, they um, when, when you have people trailing you when you have uh, people um, talking to neighbors and acquaintances and seeking information on what uh, someone has been up to. Um, it, it's just something that uh, is completely different from what uh, you've ever experienced. And uh, not only an invasion of privacy, but essentially one of great intimidation. Um, right. And as I said, my, my parents felt um, 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 uh, unf- unfairly um, uh, pursued by Monsanto, but um, uh, they they were the ones that Monsanto chose to go go after. In any case, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And from your perspective, I mean, I saw the film Dan, and I mean that's a whole other conversation we'd have about how accurate it was. But uh, definitely, the film Percy portrayed your parents as. Uh, you know, not activist types, just more common farm folk. And um, I'm just curious from your perspective, what was the breaking point? I mean, you have this Monsanto, this huge organization company that is, you know, intimidating. It sounds like from what you're saying, your parents and and likely many other folks. But for your parents uh, who, you know, what was the breaking point where they decided we're not going to take this anymore. The, so Monsanto took action against them, not vice versa. And uh, my parents were in a defensive mode from that point forward and essentially uh, fighting uh, Monsanto's claims through the various court levels up through uh, to the Supreme Court. Um, but they had times they had times where they could have just said, oh, we'll just pay the money um, and but they can, you know, continue to 
to yeah. take it to higher courts, you know? Well, <laughs> yes. The, well, the money involved was substantial. Um, and uh, it was a matter of principle. And... Um, and, and it was, um, and so the, my, my father uh, uh, was a very stubborn individual, I guess would be the best way of putting it. Um, and, and my mother supported him in that. Uh, they, they felt this was wrong, uh, what Monsanto was doing and claiming. And uh, to, the, to the best of their ability, they were, they were going to push back and, and not stand for it. Well, it, it just led to, uh, to a number of things, including an education uh, for them in the sense that um, my parents were small town, small business people with a farm operation, very much traditional grain farmers. Walking down this path, uh, albeit unwillingly, um, gave them a, a perspective into a multitude of issues that they uh, never really uh, pondered uh, until that time, uh, which is, um, is this really the direction we want agriculture to go? Is this um, how we want um, uh, agriculture or new varieties to be developed and, and controlled? Uh, how does this affect uh, small farmers or, or agriculture in general? Uh, are human beings essentially guinea pigs when it comes to the consumption of genetically modified foods? What is this doing for the environment? Um, what is this doing from the point of view of uh, increased chemical use? Um, as, as traditional farmers, my, my parents had no uh, concerns about um, uh, chemical use. That was part of the toolkit for farmers. Um, they, their view was that varieties should uh, come from Agriculture Canada because that's how, how it always had been. Uh, that um, you essentially grew, grew a crop and you marketed it, it and uh, you retained seed. Uh, and uh, you used uh, that uh, retained seed for for the production of the of the following year, and new varieties would come along, released by the government, and then you you would use those and repeat the pattern over again. So, um, uh, what their experience with Monsanto was one where um, uh, many many more issues. Um, became evident than, uh, than they contemplated at the time. Hello folks, and thanks for listening to Render Unto Caesar on 91.3 FM CJTR Community Radio. I'm your host, Josh Campbell. Render Unto Caesar seeks to explore the connection between religion and the public sphere. If you're just joining us now, today's show sets up an interesting contrast of two people who both stood and continue to stand against the corporatization of food. This past half hour, we heard a clip from a talk by Dr. Vandana Shiva, a scholar and seed-saving activist. From Dr. Shiva, we transitioned to a conversation that I had with Dan Schmeiser, son of the late Percy Schmeiser. Percy Schmeiser was a small-town farmer in the Canadian prairies who fought a historic court battle with multinational agro-giant Monsanto. In the next half hour, I asked Dan some personal questions about the role that faith played in his parents' lives. Though I doubt he was a Twisted Sister fan, 
I'm curious if Percy's faith had any part in him not taking it anymore from Monsanto. Well, my my parents, my father was, my mother is uh, very uh, strong practicing Catholics, uh, pro-life, um, and they were very, very uncomfortable with the uh, technology once they understood it uh, with the insertion of, of foreign genes into um, different life forms. Um, so uh, you, you, you have your traditional plant breeding, but uh, genetically modified organisms was uh, in a completely different category because you're moving the genes around from, from different species completely. Um, and and they thought that was unnatural, uh, and it was, or is, and and uh, it was creating things that wouldn't normally exist in nature, and uh, so you had the issue of the ethics of it as well as the potential uh, health impacts, and and uh, again it, it that evolved over time, got more immersed into this battle that they were fighting, and and they they, but the the more they walked down the path, the more they felt they were doing the right thing, because. Um, it just aligned with their 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 philosophy and and their religious uh, beliefs. Um, so um, the that that's one thing that uh, my mother emphasized, which was that uh, they they just thought that what what Monsanto was doing was just unethical uh, from a uh, from the point of view of. Is this how life should evolve or be created and controlled? Um, and um, and uh, though the court case and the Supreme Court decision uh, came in 2004, my, my father spent the next 12 years after that um, going to meetings, conferences, uh, responding to invitations to speak, uh, where he was raising these ethical issues. Um, realistically, he could have stopped in 2004 because the legal issues had concluded at that time. Right. But for, but for the next 12 years, uh, he, he felt he had a duty to raise these issues and these impacts and that was probably his 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 greatest contribution uh this uh, contribution of awareness and whether or not uh we should be going down this path or if we do if we're well aware of the risks and are doing things uh to mitigate them so um uh, i think in, in personally um, I wish he hadn't gone down that path because it drew a lot of attention. Um, it it uh, 
meant that when I went home to Bruno and visited them, uh, the focus, is, focus was always on what they were doing and what Monsanto was doing and, and what was being said. And uh, I, I kind of pined for the quiet life or the quieter life that had existed uh, prior to 1998. But uh, that wasn't my choice. That was my parents, and, uh, and I respect them for it. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned about, uh, you know, your dad started doing more traveling. Uh, when, when I watched the movie, one trip of his that stood out to me was that uh, trip to India. I mean, the movie makes it sound like that was a, a big thing for him to kind of dig his heels in and take the, you know, I keep fighting in that fight because of the mass suicide among farmers in India and the different things that were happening as a result of the green revolution there. Um, but I'm just curious from your perspective, uh, did you hear anything about that trip or was it of any uh, specific uh, significance at the time? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I did hear about that trip. Uh, uh, I, I hasten to add, though, that um, there were trips to Africa, there were trips to Europe, there were trips to Asia. Um, I think the trip to India and Bangladesh, if anything, sticks out because um, the the impacts were so much greater uh, there. Uh, you, you truly had... Um, uh, subsistence farmers or, or, or modest farmers who were, who were essentially being caught up in crushing debt and uh, to hear one's father tell uh, of people who essentially were selling kidneys to pay for that debt uh, leaves a lasting impression on 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 one and, and so um, you had people resorting to drastic measures to deal with this new environment, and some of them essentially couldn't and, and took their own lives. But but that was the um, uh, that, that 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 was how extreme things had become in India with uh, uh, the. Um, how, how the new technology was misrepresented, how the advantages versus the costs were misrepresented, and, and ultimately how, um, how, how it affected uh, to the detriment uh, of a good many people. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, the, um, but, but, but there, there were, things weren't maybe as bad in Africa, but, but the, the implications for uh, essentially control of technology, the marketing of that technology, uh, the calculations as to uh, how little uh, the corporations could leave on the table for the farmers uh, and extract maximum uh, returns for, for controlling the tech technology. Um, th- that was, uh, that would come up uh, around the world um, yeah, because uh, essentially um, that's, that's what uh, intellectual property control gives you. It gives you a, a, a monopoly and uh, this is the economist side of me speaking, and and you can price accordingly. Where you can you can 
tell people that there will be benefits for them, but you'll make sure that you'll you'll extract as as much of that benefit for your for, uh, for yourself or for your corporation. Um, so. Um, in any case, it, it 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 was again something that um, my father found morally morally abhorrent uh, because, um, as a small businessman and as a farmer, uh, he had a strong sense of equity uh, and fairness. And he didn't see that uh, at all uh, in uh, this grab for uh, corporate control that essentially was represented by Monsanto. Mm. Um, Dan, you mentioned before about uh, your parents being uh, strong Catholic, uh, pro-life, and just the whole idea of GMO not jiving with a more natural, I guess, view of things. Uh, I'm curious your perspective, because uh, I would see your parents aren't alone, especially in rural Saskatchewan, in the rural prairies. Many people have strong religious roots and views and good hard work ethic and probably would have more pro-life viewpoints. But are using GMO seeds for farming and, and, you know, they're doing the very things that, that, uh, your parents disagreed with. I'm just curious, did that viewpoint of theirs, did they come into conflict with neighbors and other people, uh, because of that, you know, <laughs> uh, yes. And I, I guess what I'm saying is their pro-life view extended to everything, including how they farmed. And I'm saying, I don't, you don't see that in across the board, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, people will essentially express their, their views, opinions, and beliefs on a continuum. And you, you could say that my, my parents uh, were uh, at, say, the far end of that continuum. Um, I, I, I think they also had no qualms with someone looking at uh, the technology and saying, well, I can uh, use this to my economic advantage. And, um, and, and so I choose to do so. And, and I think my parents uh, would, would respect that in the sense that it's not something that they would choose to do. But um, if people see things differently, that's their choice. Um, so uh, they, they, that doesn't mean to say that they weren't troubled by what they saw as the well, the industrialization of agriculture, uh, where, where you, you're, the trend to very large farms that were focused or would be focused primarily on maximum production and, and maximum profit and and potentially to the detriment of the environment. And uh, but, but again, uh, if people choose to do that, uh, so so be it. It's just not something that they would choose to do and and uh, their approach was to essentially offer a different uh, viewpoint through the speaking and meetings that my father went to 
Um, so um, that you know, we 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 all see things differently, and 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 though my my parents may disagree with things, they 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 would recognize you know people see things differently. Right. Um, so, uh, just wanted to ask you a bit about the film, Dan. Uh, have you seen the film? I have. Um, yeah. I, I saw the 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 last half, and then I saw the first half. So I haven't seen it from beginning to end in one sitting, but I have seen everything. I I, I chuckle a bit about the film in the sense that the. The opening scene where they're in church, and because of um, the thunderstorm on the horizon, uh, the character playing my father leaves. The the uh, the reaction was uh, amongst the family. Uh, Dad would never have done that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, and uh, my my mother. Uh, she was very, very pleased when the reference to uh, her prayer uh, was uh, made in the movie because my mother did a lot of praying during those seven years and uh, a lot of praying afterwards. Uh, so the, uh, my mother and, uh, and my father, in his, his way, uh, they definitely took uh, a fair amount of comfort and strength from, from their faith. Um, so, um, yeah, the, it, it, it probably helped them get through that because it was, it was, a uh, uh, well, it was an experience that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Yeah. What were, when you say that, I mean, could you tell us what were some real low points? Well, my mother's there... health declined. She was, her blood pressure went up. She was dealing with breast cancer. Um, the, um, um, the, the prospect of uh, losing everything was uh, hanging over their heads. Um, you had um, uh, divisions in the, in the community in the sense that uh, um, you had people who had no 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 problem with progress, and they viewed uh, genetically modified seeds as progress. And maybe Monsanto got the lion's share of the benefits, but it was something that they were benefiting from as well. So um, they didn't see this as an issue. If if anything, um, if my father had had uh, won at the Supreme Court, and if and bear in mind that it was a split. 5-4 decision, which also uh, uh, reversed an earlier Supreme Court decision uh, that um, life forms couldn't be patented, that uh, if he had won, this technology uh, wouldn't have continued. Uh, and so uh, Monsanto would have lost, but people who believed in this technology or the advantages of it would have lost as well. Um, so um, you didn't, uh, there was not uh, a commonality of agreement that my father was doing the right thing. And, and so uh, there were many times when they felt um, very much alone. Um, um, 
they got support from family and friends, but there were there was a lot of people who thought they were doing the wrong thing, or or that Monsanto was doing the right thing. So, um, and going back to my commentary about uh, small towns, well, you 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 tend to know what people think, and you tend to feel it uh, even more so. Hmm. On that note, Dan, what was, I mean, did you hear any hubbub or reaction from the Bruno community on the film that just came out as, or, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I have, I have, I, uh, no, because, um, well, as you mentioned, my, my father, uh, passed away, uh, a month and a half ago, right. uh, and, and our, our focus was very much on uh, our parents. And um, if anything, I thought the release of the film was uh, at a very inopportune time. Um, uh, we were focused on other things. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. for your loss, by the way, Dan. I didn't mention that. I know that's fairly recent. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, I, uh, people will think what they choose to think. I, I, I think my, my parents uh, fought a good fight, a justifiable fight. I think they um, they contribute to the discussion and people's awareness of the implications of this technology. Um, I think they, they paid a, a significant price for it. Um, I think they were they were, they were guided by principle, uh, and uh, they knew that not everyone agreed that they were doing the right thing. So uh, I don't really care at this point what people think, especially about something that in the courts was decided 16 years ago. Right. On that note, Dan, uh, at the time when your parents were going through this this legal battle and you're, of course, involved in the agricultural industry, um, did you at all feel compromised in or <laughs> in your position? Uh, it, it, it made things challenging for me both at my at at Sasui pool and then later on at uh, the Ministry of Agriculture um, Sas pool was a uh, uh, supplier of genetically modified seed on behalf of Monsanto so um, uh, but I didn't work in the commercial side of Sasui pool so uh, that provided me with a uh, a degree of separation. Um, and uh, when I was with the provincial government, uh, I just didn't work on those files uh, f uh, because um, it was better to to keep me working on, say, grain marketing or transportation rather than get me involved in something that would uh, be a potential source of conflict. So, uh, yes, I, I was mindful of uh, uh, how uh, this legal battle was uh, potentially uh, uh, affecting my career. Uh, I don't think it did. It just meant that... Uh, um, certain things had to be done that wouldn't otherwise have been the case. Did it ever come up in conversation with your colleagues or anything or? Yes. Uh, uh, but, uh, 
most everyone I talked to was very, very respectful of it and, and recognizing that it wasn't just, uh, it, it, it was a complex issue. And it also reflected a, a very changing dynamic in, in how uh, research was done and how it was funded and, and how it would have a multitude of implications. Um, or if, uh, if that wasn't the case, uh, it gave me an opportunity to point out to them that there was a multitude of implications that uh, they weren't considering. And and how about for yourself, Dan, like within your own, I mean, we're complicated beings, right? And did this create some interior struggle within yourself in your vocation and career? Well, um, uh, we've already talked about the, my career, so um, it, it, it was there, but it wasn't it wasn't affecting my career. In terms of internal struggle, um, I'm more of a quiet individual. I'm, I tend to be risk adverse. Um, I could never imagine myself in my father's shoes doing what he did. Uh, however, uh, I knew we were different at an early age and I also knew that was this was just more of the same, so I would have to live with it. <laughs> um, fair enough. Uh, Dan, what, uh, we're just getting to the end here. Um, what legacy do you think your, your parents have left behind? I know your mom's still alive, but your dad in particular, what, what, what legacy is there? Well, you, you have the legacy left to the children and grandchildren. Uh, by and large, uh, the family is quite proud of my father and and uh, or their grandfather and and their grandmother. Um, uh, my my father uh, uh, well, I, I I've described him as an audacious person, and by audacious I mean as a risk taker. And, and this was probably the greatest risk he ever ever took, and he and it 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 uh, it worked out all right for him. Um, from a from a and if anything, but he he indicate he showed his grandchildren will say that there's nothing wrong with taking risks and and fighting for what you believe in. Um, in terms of uh, the legacy that he would have left to a greater population, it's just that um, science uh, can have advantage and it can have uh, unforeseen consequences. And how that's managed and how it's controlled uh, is something we should give a whole lot more thought to than, than, than we are. Um, and... Um, the the science, of course, that he was dealing with was genetically modified organisms, but um, we we see advances uh, uh, happening all the time and frequently. Uh, uh, we rush off with the advances uh, and, and slowly sort out the the consequences that uh, that those advances may may have, and and how uh, the impacts may be very 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 unequal. 
some people take uh, gain advantage or, or benefit, and, and others lose. Um, and um, uh, I think my father contributed to the discussion uh, of that um, in in his uh, advocacy and discussions about his fight with Monsanto. And Dan, you talked about your father being, you know, taking risks and. Um, I mean, we see this throughout scripture, uh, <laughs> men and women who have taken risks and, uh, and that's why their names are recorded and we know their stories. Um, with your dad, do you think he and mom, do you think they had a sense that Providence was on their side? Um, <laughs> um. Well, I'm not sure if they felt Providence was on their side because remember you asked me about uh, bleak moments and or what or breaking points. Uh, but yeah, my parents had have an enduring faith uh, and and a belief that things would work out that that God would see them through. So. Uh, yeah, they, they, they might not say God is on their side, but they might say God is looking after us. Right. I'm I, I just curious, did you have a chance to, uh, Dr. Shiva, do you know if, was there any, did did your dad ever talk about that encounter? Because I saw it in the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I, I think my father... My, my father had had mixed emotions about her, and in and, but that was alleviated very much by being in India and Bangladesh and just seeing how how different things were there. Um, uh, even though my 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 father uh, fought something uh, that he thought was wrong, um, he wasn't looking to change the the established order. We'll say. Uh, I, I think uh, Dr. Shiva uh, is more is much more of a revolutionary than my father was. Right. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Anyways, I was curious if you had seen that or you were familiar with her work, because uh, I know she's mentioned him in a couple of her things. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think they had they, they had mutual respect for one another. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dan. And uh, I, don't, I just can't say enough how much I appreciate it because I, I understand that these are sensitive and, you know, vulnerable things that people share. And I, I really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for this. I appreciate yeah. the opportunity to, to talk to you about my parents, my father especially. That wraps up another edition of Render Unto Caesar on 91.3 FM Community Radio. The conversation made me think a lot about the tension between incremental and radical change. Just a few seconds ago, Dan Schmeiser touched on this tension. While his father fought something that he thought was wrong, he wasn't looking to change the established order. Dan contrasted this with Dr. Shiva, whom he described as much more of a revolutionary than his father. Again, this brings us back to the name of this show. What does it mean when Jesus tells the Pharisees to render unto Caesar? If you're like me, you may have heard sermons that describe this phrase as a didactic call to pay your taxes. 
In the past century, a lot of scholarship has been mounting that challenges this interpretation. This scholarship has been underlining the importance of understanding Jesus as an oppressed Jew living under Roman occupation. Since the invasion of Iraq, there have been a growing number of biblical scholars who have been drawing provocative parallels between the Pax Romana and the Pax Americana. One person who understands this all too well is Stan Goff. As a soldier, Goff himself was an instrument of the Pax Americana, who went through a dramatic paradigm shift while on assignment in Haiti. His transformation and call to discipleship will be the focus of my next show.